0: I'm just gonna read for about five minutes from the Library of Bates, and then we're gonna do a little Q and A. Um, and there's some seats open if anyone wants to sit up here. <laughs> You're interested? Okay. Um. So the book starts with the parable of the land of trees, and I should actually say also. Thank you to all my friends who are here today and also thank you to Skylight Books. This is the second launch that I've done here and it's been my neighborhood store for a long, long time and I just, I love it. Um, it's a great bookstore. Um, so this is the Parable of the Land of Trees. Long ago, there was a land entirely occupied by some of the most beautiful and oldest trees in the world. These trees had inhabited the earth longer than humans, longer than the Vetalas, the immortals who roamed the planet alongside humans till they all but disappeared. They were wise trees, and it had existed on the earth for such a great span of time they had learned how to speak. They offered their visitors fruit and shade. They told captivating stories and made people laugh. They were servants to the land and to those around them. Those who had the good fortune to stumble upon the land of trees said that the experience stayed with them forever. They returned to their homes and spoke of this ethereal world. And so word began to spread about the land of trees. Waves of new explorers trickled in and soon visitors came in droves, marching into the land from all corners of the earth. But these new visitors wanted more from the trees. They sought to own the trees and the land that they lived on. They spoke of opening up taverns and lodges and inns so people could stay when they came to visit. They wanted to build roads, bridges, and infrastructure that would allow individuals to come by the thousands so that they could experience the land of trees. But there was one problem with this. They needed the wood from the trees to build all of these things, and so they began to chop down the trees in order to build inns and taverns and roads and bridges. One by one, the trees came down, axes cutting into their trunks, saws slicing away at their roots and branches. And soon, the land of trees was filled with inns and taverns and roads and bridges. Some trees survived, but they were so devastated by the loss of their family and friends that they stopped speaking, stopped laughing, stopped sharing their voices. Their despondency, their mistrust became silence, and the forest was no longer filled with laughter, with wisdom, with stories. For some time, people continued to visit, but instead of the land of trees, what they saw now was a land that had devolved into just another place on a map. After some time, people stopped coming and now the land of trees is just like any other place, a place whose magic has been erased. But perhaps one day you'll find yourself walking through a forest, and perhaps if you listen closely enough, and maybe if you ask from the very bottom of your heart, one of the trees might hear the longing in your soul, the longing for connection, the longing for something deeper that resides so far below the surface of the world in which we choose to live out our day to day. And you'll hear it, the voice of one of those trees, calling back to you, telling you that the world is alive with mysteries, and that in order to understand them, one must first learn to be still, to listen, and the world will unveil itself to you as though it was waiting to do so all along. I still remember the first time my father told me the parable of the land of trees. It was night, and outside my window, a soft quilt of mysterious darkness had settled over Chanukia Lake. But I felt safe under the gauze of the white silken mosquito net that hung over me, and my father's presence reassured me. He sat on the edge of my bed and pointed out past the lake, past the mountains, to a horizon shrouded in mist. What he was really pointing to was a time that existed before us to a world neither of us could even be sure had ever really prevailed. Have I ever told you about the parable of the land of trees, he asked me, his eyes fixed on that elusive brim between earth and sky, before they turned to look back at me, a wistful smile twitching on the edge of his lips. I shook my head. Outside my window, lanterns lit up the sterns of houseboats on the lake, their their twins reflecting in the water, suggesting another world underneath that channel, a mirror to the one that we inhabited now. I wondered about the people who slept on those boats, who lived in that sphere I still had never seen. I thought about all the places I had never visited, that I had heard about only in the stories people told me. And then in the gauzy lamplight, over the quiet, contented chirping of insects calling out to one another in the night, my father told me the tale. I didn't understand then how stories have a way of staying with us long after people are gone. That night I simply held on to his words, somber and thoughtful. I listened to his voice, calm, soft, measured, wise. It was how I would always remember it taking it for granted taking for granted that it would always be there i didn't know then what i know now that everything my father this moment every experience that molds and shapes us is ephemeral evaporating into the air before we have a chance to grasp onto it before we can truly even understand what it means Papa was standing on the balcony outside the library when I arrived to meet him. From the doorway where I stood, I could see the sun setting over the lands he had inherited from his father that for so long I thought I would inherit from him one day, turning the hills and plains the color of burnished gold. Far out in the distance, snow covered the, mountaintops. the snow covering the mountaintops glistened like a gilded scrim sparkling in the early evening light. Blue and silver minarets rose above the walled city of Schallinger's capital, Ananta. A layer of marine fog settled over Chinooka Lake, revealing miniature houseboats wearing elaborate gardens on their roofs like soft, mossy hats. They sailed placidly across the flat, misty surface of the basin. But I was anything but placid. As I cl- crossed the vast sanctuary, cut of auric filigree and tomes, its gold and crystal domed ceiling dowsing every shelf and book in honey-colored light, I measured my breaths, as though controlling each in- inhalation was the key to mastering my fate itself. I approached the balcony and from there I could hear the sound of the festivities below in the streets. Cannons exploded, making the stone walls of the palace tremble. And just below those walls, dancers swathed in white silk, green and red ribbons around their waist twirled in the streets like spinning tops. The brazen blast of horns and the clop-clop-clop of those of horse hooves resounded through the palace quarters. Children flung rose petals into the sky. They fell back down into the mud streets, transforming the lanes between the homes into blushing rivers. Elephants, adorned in patchwork costumes, em- embellished with mirrors, tassels, and festive silk ribbons, made their way up these very rivers, carrying Macedon's most important dignitaries on their backs. Brightly colored lanterns illuminated their path, like Dia's, lighting Emperor Secundus' way to our home. My father stood, watching the festivities. When I approached, he turned abruptly, as though I had interrupted him from a dream, or perhaps a nightmare. Sabahat sham, I said, giving him a warm hug. He started for a second. I realized that he had never before seen me this elaborately dressed and quaffed. My cheeks were covered in rouge tincture. My lips streaked with crimson. My lashes were curled and painted black like a thick spider's legs. I was wrapped in a magenta and gold sari, my hair piled high over my head. Earlier that day, Mala, my lady-in-waiting, and a retinue of her helpers had buzzed around me, a hive of activity that revolved around beautifying me from head to toe. It was a dance that took place whenever an important dignitary came to visit the kingdom. But today, the hive spun and sped as though an inaudible tempo had accelerated everyone's movements without warning. Hold still, dear girl. When a great king arrives, one must look presentable, Mala had said as she combed out my snarled hair. the knots with her capable fingers. A great king, a great king who held the fate of our kingdom, as well as my own fate, in his hands.
1: So good. Thanks. Um, I'm Ellie Robbins, I'm a local writer, translator, I review books for the LA Times, LA review of books elsewhere, and I'm going to be asking Aditi a few questions. Um, First of all, this isn't a question, but I just wanted to say first of all, I wish this book had existed when I was 16. I wish it had too, I wish books (laughs) like yeah, I know, it's, yeah. We had books about like competitive horse riding. (laughs) Those were good, (laughs) they were Um, not bad books. I feel like the generation that 's in high school right now is amazing, and they have such a str- they're so impassioned and they have this really strong sense of justice, and I think a lot of that is because of books like yours mm-hmm. so thank, thank you, you. Um, I wanted to talk first of all about. So this is a work of fiction, but you've drawn really heavily on mythology, Mm -hmm. which I think is such a brave and difficult thing for a writer to do because you're right there like in kind of the dark bits of the human psyche, you're dealing with archetypes. Um, Can you talk about whether there are any kind of particular challenges? Yeah,
0: well, I mean, I can talk about the fact that when I um Started doing research for this book. It's basically like a it's it's two things that I smushed together One is like the history of colonialism in India So I wanted to talk about Alexander the Great's invasion into India But I didn't really care about his perspective or like the perspective of like the Greeks in telling the story Um, I wanted to tell it from the perspective of those who were actually colonized and particularly these young women There's a story about Alexander the Great um, when he was born apparently Uh, The day that he was born, the Temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven great wonders of the world, burned down. And it was the day of his birth. And his father invented a story, uh, and the story was basically, like, my son is great. Alexander is great because Artemis was visiting us on the day of his birth, and that's why the temple burned down. And it just made me think, what a jerk Alexander must have been (laughs) to grow up with that kind of reputation. Um, And so I wanted to sort of, I was thinking a lot about that, and then I delved a lot into Greek myth and Mm -hmm. Hindu myth, which I hadn't really done since I was a teenager, and I I found it so depressing I reread the Odyssey which don't do it you guys as like as an adult you just realize how much you're indoctrinated into these stories when I reread the Odyssey it's basically the story of Odysseus um, getting the best advice from like the best like experts in the world including the gods and he consistently flubs this advice does whatever he, it's a story of incompetence like male incompetence mythologized and and it's like you know in these stories men go off on these adventures and women basically stay at home and take care of the kids and then they're subjected to like a series of purity tests and like it's really depressing and um, I wanted to tell the story of women going out on this adventure. You and I and another one of our friends, we went to see Naomi Klein speak, uh, which was a skylight event some time back and she talked about the fact that the resistance is really important but we have to be able to sort of um, see what goes beyond that. We have to be able to sort of envision a future before we can create it. And I think that myth, we don't, the the, the DNA of every story that we tell in our society is basically comes from Greek mythology. And um, it's, this is the world that we have created out of those stories and so I think it's a time when we need new myth and I wanted to tell the story of two women going on an adventure Um, because that is why I think storytelling is important it anchors us into the reality that we live in and that's why myth is important to me so I wish that books like this existed when I was a teenager too.
1: Yeah thank you and to get To that reality that it's anchoring us in Um, you have this fantastic author's note which I'll just read the beginning Um, often the moral of a story is culled out at the end but in the case of library of fates I felt the need to state it up front when we act with only our selfish interests in mind disregarding the rights and experiences of others everybody loses Um, could you say a little bit I can't imagine why that might seem particularly relevant right right, now Um, (laughs)
0: Um... I wanted to write this author's note for a couple of reasons and people a lot of times author's notes are at the end and they kind of but I wanted to I I, I wrote a book uh, last year I published a book Mirror in the Sky and it had a very like small loyal following and uh, in the aftermath of the election a number of young teenagers uh, started reaching out to me and saying you know we're, we already feel marginalized but we feel like second class citizens in the society and uh, we don't know what to do about that because you're pretty disinformed franchised as a teenager you can't vote and it's really it's depressing Um, and you turn to stories Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to sort of speak to the fact that I've grown up feeling like a second class citizen in this country I'm a woman I'm a person of color I'm an immigrant and um these, we're seeing discrimination at the highest echelons of power um, and discrimination towards those who protect and defend us, like the trans, uh, you know, like ban, military ban that just happened, or whatever, tweet, whatever it was. Um, And I think we all need to be sort of speaking to that. So I wanted to give this stories, um, what it, I think all the stories that we create are sort of the products of the time that we come up in, and I think this story is relevant. It's a story of a misogynistic, a misogynistic dictator overthrowing this tiny idyllic kingdom. Now, we don't live in a tiny idyllic kingdom. This you know, we, the, this country's always had problems. But... Um, I wanted to speak to the idea that in the end, with this book, I mean, this is not really a spoiler, but it's basically women who have to fight back. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's probably going to be women who are leading that resistance and and marginalized communities. Um, And so I wanted to sort of speak to that and frame the the story
1: in those terms. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there was a great piece in The Guardian last week about how 80% of the people calling their representatives right now are women, so. There's that. It's um, amazing. Yeah, um, to get yeah the um, this idea that it will be women that that rescue us right now is particularly interesting because your central character, your protagonist, Princess Amrita, is such a complicated character. Um, you, she starts off, she's been tremendously sheltered, um, and you can tell that she's brave and her heart's in the right place, but you're really not sure kind of, how she's going to rise to the challenges that the novel um, poses to her. Um, and there's um, one of the central questions for her is, seems to be, uh, when do you yield and when do you fight? Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and why it was important to you right now to consider that in a female protagonist. Yeah,
0: I mean, this is something, I, I think about the topic of privilege a lot, and I wanted to create a character who isn't immediately likable and who you're kind of like, this is the person who's going to like, you know, but I, because I think we fundamentally live in a pretty narcissistic society. Um, and I think that, you know, but difficult times sort of force us to kind of, pull from that well of like courage that I think everybody has and so I wanted to write this character who's like flawed and privileged but ultimately uses her privilege for good because again we're seeing the opposite of that we're seeing a number of people using their privilege you know in the service of greed and their own self-interest um so, I wanted to sort of like sort of illustrate the fact that that transformation is not only possible, but it's necessary. That um, when you're really pushed against a wall, do you think about yourself or do you sort of like think about the greater good? And I think sacrifice is something that is really important. We're living in a time of tremendous greed. I think all of us have to make certain sacrifices, but it's, I think a lot of times women are asked to make certain sacrifices and we're more comfortable doing it. I, I hate to sort of gender it, but you know, that's basically what we're doing <laughs> on this panel. Um, and I sort of wanted to talk about the idea like what is, a, what are the sacrifices worth making versus the ones that are, what are the compromises worth wa- making versus the ones that are not worth making the story opens with amrita's father making a compromise that he is not comfortable with Mm -hmm. and it's basically um, adhering to sort of like the laws and norms of this other culture which believes that women are property and he does not believe that but his kingdom will potentially be invaded if he doesn't go along with it so he makes a bad compromise Mm -hmm. and there's a consequence to that but I don't think all compromises are inherently bad I think those that sort of enhance um, those that that, uh, sort of compromises that are made in the service of the greater good, I
1: think always have good outcomes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to close by talking... DT has this terrific TED Talk about harnessing the power of the unknown. Um, I wanted to speak a little bit about um, how you had to harness the power of the unknown in order to write this novel, and then how the novel itself celebrates the power of the unknown.
0: Yeah, I I gave that TED Talk. It was about sort of... um, I, I, that TED Talk is largely about the first novel that I wrote, Mirror in the Sky. I think anytime you embark on any sort of creative or entrepreneurial endeavor, it's like it is the great unknown. You have no idea what the outcome is going to be, you have no idea um, what's going to come of it. Um, but I think that there is something really powerful about the unknown. All great innovation and art comes out of this sphere of the unknown. Um, but I think we have a tendency to live in the known world. We are all sort of, I think, guilty of like making schedules and to-do lists, and sometimes they overrun our lives. Um, I can speak to that directly. Um, but I think some of the most um, powerful and creative, like powerful art and innovation comes out of that sphere. And um, it is, I think, in service to the greater good. The unknown serves all of us. Mm-hmm.
1: And certainly serves the character that Princess Amrita has to really um, uh, pluck up the bravery to embrace that power in the novel. Her her um, quest is about finding that Yeah, she's
0: power. she's like homeless. And the the other thing that I, I was researching for another project, because I wanted to talk to... My grandparents were refugees. I'm an immigrant in this country. At the moment, there are 65 point, 65 million, I think 65.3 million refugees in the world, which is the population of... Um, Beijing, Shanghai, Delhi, and New York combined. And that population is only going to grow um, with climate change and we're gonna have to like climate refugees. And um, I wanted to speak to this quality of displacement. What does it mean to lose everything? Because mm-hmm. that is truly the unknown. And where do you go from there? And how do you build from there? And so that's one of the central questions of the book as well.
1: Yeah, there's such a strong sense of home and what that means and what it means when it's threatened. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, I think we have a little time for some questions from the audience. Anyone? Because we could talk here for Yeah, um, I mean, I could keep just, going. Okay.
0: <laughs> or we could just have, it's, it's my dad's birthday tomorrow, and it's Shelly's birthday tomorrow, too. <laughs> I was thinking we could sing happy birthday to okay. them. I'm
1: going to go like this, but you yeah. can Oh, totally, there's a question. Um, so I know you just got back from this book tour, and I'm curious about you spoke before about the um, responses to the the previous book from young know, people, and I'm curious like these issues that you're talking about in terms of refugees and whatnot, like how how um, the, the youth you've been speaking to have been responding to that particular issue?
0: The youth is pretty awesome. I mean, I think if you look at the demographic map of, like, blue versus red states, like, like young people are blue, and and people who read books are, are smart, I mean, generally. Like, they're, you know, I, like, so I feel like the response to you know, that, like, I, particularly like, coming from young women, they were really really excited to sort of see like, new myth that kind of features women going on this adventure and just talking about like topical things so that was really exciting yes um what were i remember you talking last year when you published your your first novel uh what were the differences uh approaching this novel than the last novel in terms of where you were personally a lot of times i think that when people are doing kind of their second big work or whatever, they can run into frustrations with that. did uh, you deal with that? did so you overcome that? How did this novel come to be? Yeah, I mean, so my first novel Mirror in the Sky was about um, the discovery of an alternate Earth, a mirror Earth, um, that's just slightly different from our own and how it throws the entire planet into a state of existential crisis because everyone begins to believe that there's a version of them um, on this other planet having way more fun than they are, living a way better life than the one that they choose. It's kind of like a metaphor for social media. Um, (laughs) But it's also just, you know, a book about belonging and race. And um, I think both of these books deal with similar themes. And I always start with themes before I think about characters or story or setting or whatever. Um, And so the big themes that I think I'm always writing about are like loss um, and also the idea of like, yeah, what happens when everything is lost and what happens, like, what are our parallel lives? Like, what are the other lives, what are the lives that we didn't choose? And so I started with that theme, but this book was a lot more complex in terms of. I feel like I had like a very elaborate note card system, and it's much more plotty, whereas I wrote Mirror in the Sky in one go. So the process was different, and ultimately I think um, I enjoyed kind of trying something new with this, Um, and it's it's like I call it like feminist like fantasy. Uh, It's very different from the first novel in terms of like the process was different, but ultimately I think the themes are similar.
1: I love how you handled the, um, her communicating the elements. book mm-hmm. was amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, was that? Did you have to slip into that, or did that come naturally? Did you ever worry it would be corny if she's?
0: Yeah, I didn't because I, I think I wanted to sort of like write kind of like a mo- like a fairy tale and so I really wanted to delve into these like this theme of magic and I also like starting with this parable that's kind of it's environmentally themed I mean it's like elaborately sort of written like a parable or a fairy tale but ultimately it's about the environment just like this is this book is ultimately like about women sort of fighting for their own future Um So all of that is kind of, it's like window dressing a little bit, but it's also, I think, um, just a device to tell the story that we've kind of like lost touch with the things that are important, that we've sort of, that sort of honoring like the earth, which is something that we are not really doing at this moment is something that we really need to think about and do like kind of illustrating that through magic was the way that I wanted to tell that story. Sanj.
1: When did the concept come to you? Was it something you've been thinking about for years? Or did post-election? Like,
0: when did really start to No, I actually wrote this book before the election. Weirdly, um, and then I was in the middle of copy edits, and, and I, I don't think any of us knew that you know what was going to happen. Um, and I was like, "Wow, this is really weird." It's like life is imitating art in this strange way. But I, I wanted to tell. I had just never seen um, South Asian or Indian myth in fantasy. Uh, you always kind of like see this Game of Thrones like European like northern kind of world and I was like this is such a rich culture and a rich setting and I kind of want to take um, The South Asian myth and like and reform it and reshape it and modernize it So that was really what I was thinking about when I wrote the story
1: I wanted to ask one more thing. Is the yes. parable of the trees a real parable? I no, know. It's, no, it's, it's totally Just, made up. It's wow. an invention. Congratulations.
0: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Other questions? Should we sing happy birthday? <laughs> Should I start? Yes. <laughs> okay, so my dad's name is Satish, and it's also Shelley's birthday. So we're... we're oh, it's your birthday. What's your name? Oscar, so Satish, Shelley, and Oscar. Are, are we? Do, does everybody have like alcohol? We're gonna have cake too. But does everyone have a glass of something in their hand, or if you need one, should we take care of that? <laughs> where is it? Yeah, I where it's like here. Is it? Does anyone need? I think we have the bookstore to ourselves. Okay. Well, I guess we're just gonna sing. <laughs> okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sheesh, Shelley, and Oscar. Happy birthday to you. Yay!
1: You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping
0: by, and we hope to see you soon.